Hey, I'm Matt. And I'm Allie, and you're listening to Brew Roots. We take a behind-the-scenes look at the roots of your favorite local breweries and the stories behind them. I'm homebrewing like a madman, building homebrew equipment for people on the side. It was fun, and I decided, well, I should try this professionally. Now on to the episode. Cheers. Hey everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of Brew Roots. I can't even imagine we started this journey 12 weeks ago and we're already at the sixth episode. Uh, we've got so many great guests. We started with Smutty Nose, we've got Saintly Cider in there. If you guys want to hear some past episodes, please check them out there on our website, brewroots.com. If you guys like what you hear, please, uh, we ask if you subscribe. That way you don't even have to download it on iTunes. It just gets directly on your phone. Uh, share it, tweet about it tag us on instagram that way that kind of all works into the algorithms for google play stitcher and itunes and uh gets us to the top of the list that way we can uh continue to do these podcasts in in a better capacity each time uh we love doing it and uh we're going to continue to do it for as long as we can with that being said we had the distinct pleasure of interviewing max from medford brewing co down in medford massachusetts uh max has an awesome story he uh is a teacher started off as like a rock musician in boston and kind of worked his way into becoming a teacher and then uh now he's a brewer full-time teacher full-time brewer so i'm gonna let him tell the rest of his story uh unfortunately Allie couldn't be here uh for this intro portion she's teaching right now but uh she should be back for some next episodes and uh we can uh, take it from there. So, without further ado, I give you Medford Brunco. Enjoy. We are doing our first kind of over-the-internet interview right now with Max from uh, Medford Brunco. How are you today, Max? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Uh I know I'm not speaking for Allie, but I'm going to speak for her because she's finishing up with dinner. Uh, <laughs> Allie's a school teacher, so she knows the struggle of the end of year blues and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. the end of year joys, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Uh, again, people aren't here to listen to us. Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about your uh, brewery? Absolutely. So um, basically, uh, we are. Well, I'll start with my name. I'm I'm Max Heinig from Medford Brewing Company, and. Uh, we are contract brewers at this point. We are trying to save enough money to have a tap room and eventually a brewery in Medford. Medford's a city in Massachusetts of about 58,000 people. And I've been teaching here for about 19 years, and I've been home brewing for around 11 years. And about, uh, about two years ago, we decided to start a company and with a focus on initially hoppy ales, uh, but I'd like to um, do some of the other things I'm passionate about, like Belgian beer and sours and stronger beers and things like that. But this is where we're starting in the, uh, in the market. And our first step is basically since October of 2016 to produce, uh, about, um, 20, initially it was 20 and 30 barrels. Now we're doing 60 barrels at a time, um, about every six to eight weeks. And we're nearly 100 locations in Massachusetts. We're basically still getting out there, doing tastings once, twice a week, um, meeting people, sharing our three different beers with them, and trying to save money to 
hopefully within a, about a year, uh, maybe less, have a tap room and probably a pretty small system, somewhere in between probably seven and 12 barrels. Cool. Max, you keep on mentioning we. Uh, I'm assuming you have a partner. Who is that? So the company is uh, was started by two, just two of us, uh, myself and Nick Belitho. And Nick is the business end, and I am the uh, recipe designer. And Nick does brew too. Nick uh, does, you know, has started doing some all grain stuff too. But um, the background, in the way we met, et cetera, was uh, we both have daughters. And let me know if I'm talking too quickly or no, no, this is perfect. Okay, so. Um, we both have daughters, and he came over a bunch of times picking up his daughter, and I plied him with some of my homebrew, and uh, he saw a bunch of my little plastic metals in the basement, and we got to talking about it, and basically um, he encouraged me to, to join him and to, to try to start the company with just the two of us, and at this point, it's just, it's just still the two of us, although we have a distributor now um, who helps us you know, deliver the kegs and deliver all the beers uh, from... Basically, from where we are in Medford to Cambridge uh, to everywhere from the North End to the North Shore. And so we don't have, like, a huge reach right now. Um, but, yeah, so it's the two of us. And basically, we talk about what we're going to design, and then I uh, homebrew it until it's about right. And then we go in and brew it in. Uh, so as I said, we're contract brewing. We brew with uh, Dorchester Brewing Company, and they do uh, contract you know, brews for all sorts of different companies that are about our size to, you know, up to probably, I don't know, 10 times bigger. They brew for Omni Polo and they brew for uh, Evil Twin. So I guess those guys are a lot bigger than we are. <laughs> That's cool. Um, how did you get started with brewing? I know you, you just talked about how you got, got started with the company, but mm -hmm. how did you get um, introduced to brewing in the first place? So um, I cook for my family and because I'm a teacher, um, basically initially my wife was uh, working as a lawyer and she would come home and say um, you know two three hours after I had gotten home and, and I would say to her um, so are you going to make dinner and then she said that's crazy talk uh, you should learn how to cook and so <laughs> I, I, I fell in love with cooking and uh, around that time because this is a while ago the home uh, what was it called the uh, the food network almost called it like the home and garden or something but food the food network became popular and I just kind of fell in love with it. I, I didn't know that I would love uh, cooking. And so for about six or seven years, I just really fell in love with cooking, read all sorts of cookbooks, got into spices, herbs, knives, so the whole business. One day at lunch, a student teacher came and started talking about homebrewing, and I'd never even heard of it. This was 11 years ago. And I just said, that's something you can do? Like, that's legal? And he said, uh, of course, and we said, you know, a couple of us said, will you teach us? He taught me, and pretty much the next day I went and got every single book out of the library and spent the next uh, four or five years uh, reading every book that's been written about, brew, you know, making beer and brewing my way through uh, Jamil Zaneshev's uh, Brewing Classic Styles. And so I brewed about, um, about 55 of the different styles, and then I started um, – competing and then i joined the the local homebrew club so that's the, the boston word processors it's a very sexy name <laughs> and then uh i basically got involved in running the boston homebrew competition and well that whole time just homebrewing and homebrewing and homebrewing and just trial and error and experimenting and and giving things away to friends and just having an incredibly 
good time uh, making beer of varying levels of good. Yeah. You speak of the varying levels. I think uh, everyone's hesitant to uh, try someone else's, like, home brew. And they say, oh, yeah. you know, because typically the stigma is, oh, you made it yourself. It must suck. Uh, what, was yeah. the, what was that first batch that everyone kind of was like, wow, this is freaking awesome. You should do this. Uh, I, for a while, you know, I'll probably catch some flack for it, but it was probably pumpkin beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Um, now that I think we, we used to have uh, a pretty raucous Halloween party, uh, for our small children and the adults would, uh, would, would misbehave a little bit. And, uh, I got into roasting the pumpkin and going to Penzi's to get the nice pumpkin spice and then making, you know, an all grain, uh, slightly Swedish brown ale. And it ended up, um, you know, a bit being quite good enough for the parents, <laughs> but I think that initially what 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 um, a lot of people were reacting to positively with my homebrew was that it was under attenuated, that it was a, it was a little sweet, and I think over time, um, you know, I've I've gotten better at brewing now, but um, I think that was switching probably when I switched to all grain and, and when I started um, probably doing the, the pumpkin beer was when it sort of switched over nice. to people liking it. Nice. You mentioned uh, you mentioned reading all the books. Uh, a lot of books that a lot of brewers mention is the Charlie Papazian book. Was yeah. that an important book for you, or not at all? Although I'd like to say he's I, I, I'm friends with his uh, nephew, okay. and uh, he's like the nicest guy ever, and he is a killer brewer. And of course, Charlie, from all the stories we've heard, is is obviously, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's the the Godfather and uh, and a wonderful spirit, and and my sort of friend on Facebook. Uh, but the book itself um i think that you know obviously it was encouraging and it was fun to read and i love the as an english teacher i love the style of it but um i think that i was immediately attracted to things that were a little bit more technical um so i think a lot of people start and they want recipes and i think that that book has all sorts of creative recipes but um designing great beers was probably a lot more influential for me and really the writing of like stan hieronymus so brew like a monk because when I started, I was really just interested in Belgian beers, um, and and that the combination of the history and the also the how-to was for me the most um, I don't know uh, educational and, and instrumental in, in my taking it from um, a casual hobby to something that I was actually willing to put family money into. Wow. Um, yeah. So from the original recipes, did any of them make it to the three that you're producing now? I've been brewing the um, the the pale ale, which is our flagship beer, uh, for initially for um, my wife's family. Um, I wanted to make something that would basically appeal to people who liked good beer and wanted a little bit of hops, but didn't. Um, you know, it, it was before really the the IPA craze really kicked in, at least in New England. Um, so the beer that I've been brewing. Pretty much from day one is is the is our pale ale, and it's changed a little bit, but that one has made it all the way through. The newest beer, which just came out about two weeks ago, I only started uh, test batches of that three or four months ago. Oh, wow. And the the IPA I worked on for about a year, um, and that was you know in, mostly in 2016. Um, but there are so many New England IPAs that I had to sort of um, work to make something that was a little bit different. Um, so long, the, to answer the question directly, the, the pale ale is is the one that I've been brewing my whole life. 
as a brewer, you know, 11 years. And I've just, I've changed a little bit of uh, hops depending on what's available, but it's pretty much the same beer. Uh, it's a 6% beer with Pilsner malt as the base for my Belgian roots. And it's a mixture of, I like to bitter with Horizon because it's a, a very not, not too aggressive bittering hop. Um, I think it's smoother. And it's a mixture of, um, if I can, you know, tell everybody the recipe, but it's basically, um, it's Amarillo um, for the nose and a, a little bit of uh, Cascade under underneath it. But it's nice. primarily a, an Amarillo beer with pills, which actually works pretty well in Belgian beers. Nice. Hey, so are you like the cool teacher at Anger High School? Do, they know, um, do your students know this, or is this like your Batman super? No, they definitely know that I'm that I'm doing it. Um, and and I, I really um, initially it was like the Walter White thing. Yeah. <laughs> except that I was an English teacher, and that beer is legal and is you know is not going to really like turn you into yeah. <laughs> a freaky <F-head. laughs> Um But yeah, it, it's hard to fight it. Um, I think that you know anybody who's taught knows that when you're when you're really young. Um, the kids latch on to you, and you're you're cool by virtue of, of your youth, yeah. and and they also sort of walk all over you a little bit, which is you know depends on your personality. But as you get older, um, you know you you sort of become, I don't know, a little less easy to relate to. So I, it's helped me a little bit because as I've become sort of fuddy duddy, I've got this kind of novelty. Um, he's the he's the teacher who makes the beer. Um, <laughs> And their parents, you know, will will tell me at parent night that they they like it, um, and the kids will say, "Oh my, you know, my dad or my mom had it," um, and it kind of for me it's wonderful because what I'm trying to do for the community is um, our town doesn't have our bookstore closed. We have a lot of old Massachusetts laws on the books where you can't really um, you can't really have a bar. So we have a town without a bar. Um, you have to have a restaurant. You have to have a, you know like yeah. massive seating. So we're trying to bring. Um, you know, a tap room, uh, hopefully with music and some readings and stuff like that to uh, to the town. And hopefully it won't be like a, a den of iniquity. It'll be more like a community gathering space. Yeah. It's cool that you mentioned that. I, I, and uh, that's something we bring up in almost every interview is the importance of community. Because um, I, I, I think Allie and I, we have a pretty strong sense of community uh, with everything that we do. But... Uh, what does the community of like Medford mean to you? Obviously, you've taught there for a number of years. You live yep. there. Um, yep. Why is why is Medford so special to you? Oh, I think that I'm, so. I'm from upstate New York. I'm from um, from Schenectady, outside of Albany, and I came to Boston to follow my fiance, uh, you know, now my wife, um, to go to BU and get my teaching degree. And the first job I got um, to teach middle school 19 years ago was in Medford. And I didn't really know much about it. I just knew it was you know, outside of Boston. And as soon as I started working in Medford, I realized it was a lot like my hometown. So basically, Schenectady is like it's a comparable size place. It's, you know, working class, lower, uh, you know, low, and some lower income. And there's a college there, which is Union College, which is where I went for undergrad. And so it's kind of like a perfect analog to Medford because Medford has Tufts. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, the, the, the people who are here are um, unpretentious, hardworking, um, cultured, and super friendly. And so for me and for my wife, um, it, it was a lot like the community that we're used to at home. And then in addition, it's also close to... Um, 
you know, her sister who lives in Gloucester, sort of by the ocean. But I just think it's an incredibly welcoming community. Um, when I started teaching her, I had, you know, long hair, ponytail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been a rock musician for, um, you know, ever since I was 18. So when I started teaching, I was not only was I teaching the sixth grade kids with a ponytail, but I was also in a rock band at night. And so, <laughs> so they were seeing my picture in the Boston Globe. And, you know, I looked, you know, like a questionable character. Can you, and, uh, what band was that? Can you drop names? I was drop in a bunch of different bands. Um, I was in um, a band in the 90s called The High Ceilings, but the band that you might have heard of was I was a singer in Bang Camaro. Okay. And um, my own music is uh, at maxheineck.com, and you can hear me on Spotify and all sorts of stuff like that. I have two kids who are now 11 and 13, so I don't, you know, I don't play out as much, but I still make a record every couple of years. Um but, you know, the, the idea is, like, they really accepted me. Um, I wasn't eccentric, but I was, you know, I was a ponytailed rock and roll guy teaching the 11-year-olds, and um, they were cool with that. And then when I started making beer, I expected to get some flack for being, like, a role model who's, you know, making alcohol. And um, everyone was cool with it. In fact, they were just really psyched to um, see the, the town's name on the can. And, and that's why we did some research to, you know, discover what, what Medford used to be, which is... Um, you know, a place that made great chips and made great rum and humorously also made great crackers. <laughs> and so we went to City Hall. We got a picture of a really old ship made in Medford called the President. We put it on the front of the can, even though you probably think of uh, Medford as not like, you know, the same way you think of like Ipswich or, you know, some of that water imagery. Um, yeah, so long and short of it, it's, it's just a very warm place. It's pretty casual. I have a backyard, you know, with a tree in it, but I'm also 10 minutes from the MFA. Ten minutes from Fenway, you know, it's it's just a really nicely situated place. That's reminds me a lot of uh, home in upstate New York. Nice. Did you um did you like craft beer before you started brewing yourself, uh, or is it something that you got into because you were into the cooking and you were into the recipes and the flavors from the cooking? I was into it before, but I um I it was kind of strange how you sort of seek out things just on the basis of pleasure and you like them and you don't know what you're really getting into. I was I was really drawn to um the Belgian stuff and so I was I was obsessed with bless you um Thank dark you. <laughs> I was obsessed with um with just stuff that I I didn't even know really what it was. I was drinking old Rasputin. Um I want to say 14 and not not that this is like special but it's like 14 years ago i was drinking old rasputin and i was like this is really good but i didn't really know what it was you know i never read a beer book i didn't know what an imperial stout was um i had tried uh, a bunch of belgian beers that were really highly carbonated and i was drinking triples but i didn't really know what i liked about them and so i think what i liked initially was flavors that are yeast derived okay. and malt derived and for me that was um why the beers of Belgium sort of just won me over gastronomically and sensually um, because they're, you know, at their best, they're works of art. Nice. Uh, so the hoppy stuff was much later. I didn't even know like that was coming. <laughs> so you've mentioned some pretty awesome beers. Do you kind of have like a peanut butter and jelly beer? <laughs> Probably our pale ale. Um, but I think that, um, Left, to, you know, if I was on a desert island, yeah, uh, desert island, it'd probably be Orval. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that uh, if, you know we want to do a tap room, but and so I, you know, when we do, I probably won't be able to play around too much with Brett, etc. But there's there's something about 
um, as I'm getting older, um, that like that leather. <laughs> like, why, why is leather in a beer appealing to me? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like Orval, I just think Orval is perfect. Um, it's it's spicy. It's hoppy. It's effervescent. It's a little funky. It's a little dry. Um, it's just. I think I think uh, I've read it described as God's homebrew. <laughs> And I think that's really kind of neat. Um, so yeah, Orval. Very cool. Very very cool. Um, what do you guys see for like the future for for your brewing company? Uh, what our goal is to do is to to try to do uh, a new beer um, every three months and kind of see what sticks. So right now I am doing test batches of double IPA, and I'm trying to um, tr- you know get slightly over eight percent alcohol, but not have it be uh, fusily and hot. Um, to have it be juicy but not necessarily be cloudy. The future of the brewery is, the, is to try to do the tap room and to to basically have Dorchester, which has huge equipment, um, make our core brands and then hopefully be able to play around, brew seasonally, locally, and pair with local food you know, artisans to give food to the community and uh, you know a nice place to play darts and talk uh, as opposed to like you know um, a sports bar. Um, Although I do like sports. And the idea is, uh, beer-wise, after the double IPA, um, I feel like there's a, like a, people are starting to come back from the high alcohol and peel your face off hoppy beers. So I would like the, the fifth beer. We've been talking about it. It might be a pumpkin hell. Oh, nice. Nice. But if it's not, you know, and I know that like some of my brewing friends are like, please don't do pumpkin hell. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to start doing some of the malty beers and... Um, if I was to make a prediction after the multi ones, then um, I'd like to do some Belgian. But the problem is the canning, and I feel like it really it, you don't get it fizzy enough unless it's a wit beer or a dark strong or maybe a double. And I just don't know if like people are going to buy 550 cases of my double. Maybe they will. So I think it might be safer bet for us company wise to do um, you know a Belgian white. Nice. Cool. Um, do you think that you draw a lot of parallels? You said you're an English teacher. Obviously, yeah. you, you must like literature and writing. Yep. Um, do you draw a lot of par- parallels to like your creativity because of your background? You know, you're interested in different fl- flavor profiles from even yep. whether it's cooking or if it's uh, how you make your beer. Do you see a parallel with that? Or absolutely, yeah. I, I'm a lot of my friends in the homebrew club come from engineering backgrounds. Yeah, that's and I, and I have a lot to learn from them. And honestly, like, you know, like, the you know, treating water and stuff. Like, I text my friends. I'm like, so how much gypsum, you know, how much calcium chloride? And I'm like the last guy to know those things. But once I get it, I'm, I'm pretty good. But I'm slow with that. Um, but but the uh, the angle of coming at it from um, from an artist's perspective, because uh, I'm a songwriter and a guitar player and a poet and a, and a cook, uh, I think it's an advantage because I can think a little bit, um, not necessarily outside the box because we make, we make conventional beer right now. We're not like reinventing the wheel by making a pale ale an IPA and a, you know, a golden ale. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think I come at it from a little bit of a different angle. I think that the food thinking about it is more advantageous than the literature though. So I read books like the flavor Bible mm-hmm. I think every brewer should look at that because it's all about pairings. So it's like you, you look up something like vanilla. It's like, what does that go with? And it'll be like, well, it goes with, you know, cocoa or it goes with, you know, and, and sometimes that will um, 
you know, help you not only in the kitchen, but also when you, when it comes time to make the quirkier beers, yeah. uh, you know, I brewed with saffron, um, nice. you know, I brewed with tea, I brewed with Hungarian oak soaked in whiskey, you know, that's, that's not particularly unique, but, um, you know, making lambic and stuff like that. Um, I think it's it's reading the beer literature, finding out about what other cultural traditions are doing. Like if you read, you know, Michael Jackson's Great Beers of Belgium, that's, um, you know, maybe more inspirational than, than strictly speaking the poetry stuff. But okay. people who read a lot um, get to see what other people are thinking. And I think that one of the beauties of this whole process is that brewers often share their um, ideas and cultures want to show you what's special about their food culture and their beer culture. And if you see enough about what's out there, um, you can put your own spin on it while still sort of honoring that tradition. And, you know, I think that that's a special thing to be able to do. Cool. All right, Max, I got a couple more questions for you. I want to respect your time. Obviously want to get back to your family. Um, what are you most proud of though, thus far with your company? (laughs) That didn't fail immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was so terrified that we were going to embarrass ourselves publicly you know, because when you contract brew, you know, I didn't know that the, the people I was going to be working with were as professional as they said they were, you know, I mean, I've, everybody's had someone say they're professional and then not do a great job. And um, so I, I was just thrilled that, you know, that they made the beers and they turned out um, the way I wanted them to and that the, the community was supportive. I mean, that was that was a thrill. Yeah. Uh, the first time the beer hit the market, people got so excited about it and they went out and bought it and. You know, and the, that sort of died back after a couple of weeks, the novelty of like, you know, hey, my neighbor made a beer, you know, but the idea that um, that it didn't flop out the gate um, was a, a huge uh, just relief. I was I was so, so terrified. Yeah. Cool. And <laughs> what, then, what was uh, the question? What, no, was no, yeah, proud no, of? what are you most proud of? Yeah, <laughs> uh, cer- certainly not like, uh, you know, cer- certainly not the. Um, not like the, the medals of, you know, like competing and stuff like that. Um, you know, most, most proud of the fact that we actually dared to, to put a beer out in public with our name on it and, and represent the city and we didn't fail. But the thing that's the most special about doing, you know, beer in this way is, is honestly, it's cheesy, but it's the friends you make and the, you know, going to different communities and sharing something from your community with them and traveling to different, you know, towns in Massachusetts and, uh, meeting the people there and sharing a good beer with them—it's—it's it's a really—it's uh, a nice thing to be able to do. It's like teaching, you know. You get yeah. to meet different people and talk about what they value. Yeah. Um, do you have any sage advice to pass on to someone who might have been in the same position as you maybe two years ago? Whether it was just a dream. Yeah. Um, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> just go for it. Um, because at this point, um, you know, we're so small. Um, you know, we, we make beer when we can afford to make beer. Um, but the idea of the, the excitement of, uh, dreaming it up and trying to put it into physical reality and then to share it with people is a daunting thing. Um, and there are aspects, you know, to this that will, uh, be frustrating and disappointing. And, and it's, it's awkward to make phone calls to people you don't know. And I've never done Skype before and it's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, and when I'm, when I'm thinking about the awkward part, I was thinking of actually like cold calling, like people to get them, you know, to try your beer and not this, because um, you guys are nice. Oh, but the idea is, um, you know, you might think that you have like something for a comfort zone, and and I think that when you go for it, 
um, you develop, a, you know, I don't know, you change your comfort zone and you learn, you learn something about yourself. And I think everybody's, uh, you know, they say, you know, as a teacher, it's like people are afraid of public speaking. Um, people are very afraid of, of putting themselves out there. And I think that, um, if you think that your beer is good and your friends think that your beer is good, um, you know, seek out some people who, who really know, find a, a beer judge or two. And, and if they think it's pretty good too, just go for it. That's awesome. Cool. And I guess most importantly, we want to spread your word. Uh, where are you on the interwet, internet and, uh, social media? So we are Medford Brewing Company dot com and you can find us on facebook at medford brewing company and uh from there we're also on instagram and twitter nice. and uh we're, we're not like you know the superstars of of twitter by any means um i i'm not <laughs> i haven't met someone that really is <laughs> but we're eager to meet people and to you know share our story and our pictures with you guys and to uh make new friends and hopefully uh, i'm going to come out to methuen Ooh. yeah That'd be nice. awesome. So, you are doing right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, when I see you, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you beer. Oh, thank oh, you. Awesome. We really appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Well, Max, thank you so much for taking some time yes, out of your day to thank do this. You. And uh, do you have anything else you'd want to say before you go? No, it's just it's a it's a it's, it's an honor to be able to talk to people about something that began as a hobby. And that just through the uh, the quirk of the encouragement of my wife and family and friends who wanted initially probably some free beer, <laughs> it's fun to see when things uh, morph into something that uh, you know it's it's making some people happy. So yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we really we wish you all the best of luck, and we look forward to hopefully talking to you in a year, and you know maybe talking about an opening of a, brewer, a, brewer, a tap room. <laughs> that would be great. And when it happens, you know the first beer and the second are on me. Sounds oh. good. We'll keep in touch, Max. Thank you. Right. Peace. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.